Welcome back to Between the Levees. I am joined finally by Captain Trey Urban. There was some scheduling mishaps on my end that he's been riding me about for about two months now. Uh, he, this guy has been on the river about 30 years in the pilot house for about 20. He grew up on the river. He's got a lot to say, a lot of opinions, a lot to share. Quick disclaimer for those viewers that may be adverse to such things. There may be some language and there may be a number of opinions expressed here that uh, are not representative of Worry At Studios LLC or its members. All that to say, Captain Trey, welcome to the show. Thank you, brother. Good to be here. I know you're a fan. You comment on almost every post. I appreciate that. But tell me first, where were you born? Well, I'm going to show you exactly where my location comes from. I was born in West Jefferson Hospital, Murrara, Louisiana. I don't know what it is about New Orleans, but we always seem to assert, assert ourselves as to where we're from by what hospital we were born in. What did your parents do for a living? Dad was a, a land surveyor by trade. Mom was a legal secretary. Uh, they divorced and split when I think I was three. Dad fell into one of those positions where uh, it was it was during that time period where the, the old age old thing of if you got a government job, you know, you're set for life kind of a thing. And he went to work for uh, Plaquemines Parish and later became the foreman over heavy equipment and drainage department for Plaquemines Parish. It, Ever since I was old enough to carry a stake, I would go help him, you know, stake and levies on the weekends and stuff when I was with him. So there was a lot of walking, but uphill, downhill and all that good stuff. But if there's a levy south of Belchase, I've stood on it or I've been in there or around it. But he had the opportunity and he didn't know back in the day when stuff was grandfathered in. He could have went and taken a test through the state or whatever, and he'd be could have became a licensed engineer but because he worked for the government he thought i don't need that you know i can just get wherever i need to get to stamp it and be done with it and uh it kind of bit him in the butt later on down the line when he was getting ready to retire but he made it out and he still does it from time to time he still does things old school way he still does things on printers so they they give him regular phone calls because he does it the old way they want they want the, the sheets with the, the profiles of the levees, shooting grades and shooting things. We've been in, we've been in some mud holes. I lived, I seem to live, have lived in hip boots when I was a kid. Mom was a legal secretary. She worked for uh, multiple law offices, law firms, all kinds of things. As I grew up, she was always late. She was at work working because, you know, single mom. So my older sister, so me and her spent, we tight, we close. I mean, feet and socks ain't as close as me and my sister are. But she's done various other things. She's ran a kitchen. Once she moved over uh, up to Mississippi later on in life, she, she winded up running one of the kitchens and all that other good stuff. Where did they meet? High school, West Jefferson High School. They went to, they were high school sweethearts. So my mom... <laughs> My mom was a, a, a very, very bright redhead that drove a, a car. Her hair matched his car. It was, a, it was a whole thing. But yeah, they grew up. They were high school sweethearts. You mentioned earlier you were uh, conceived on a boat. Yeah. 
Un unfortunately, to my mom's disposition, I don't guess she thought I'd ever learn how to do all of the maths. But being born in February, there is only two shrimping seasons in South Louisiana, one being May, one being August. Nine months. It's May season. Mm -hmm. I, I made the joke at a family gathering one day. I was like, well, you know, <laughs> must have been a very good May season that year. Either that or it was very bad and y'all didn't have anything else better to do. I don't know, but one way or the other, yeah. <laughs> well, who had a shrimp boat? Dad. My okay. dad had a shrimp boat, still got it. Matter of fact, it's uh, he's had a couple of reiterations. He built one, he named it after my sister. I think it sank. He built another one, he named it Tanya too after my sister again, and it burned. So when he built the third one, he's like, I'm not naming it after my kids anymore. So it didn't get my name. <laughs> but ironically enough, it is literally sitting in my driveway on a trailer because it's been my dad literally put the boat out to pasture. After he retired, he moved up to Franklinton. So uh, the boat winded up in the pasture for 20 years. So I've, I've been in the process of cleaning it out, trying to get it back together. But. Like I told them, I think like, I could literally almost build a new boat for what it was going to cost to put this one back together again. But it's sentimental. Me and the boat are literally the same age. So I grew up on it. Boats, what made me what I am today. Right. Well, tell me about growing up in West Jeff. Well, I grew up in Old Gretna. Uh, my grandpa lived on Maple Street. He was one of the very first houses in Harvey. He was at the end of a shell road that come off a river road. He owned Urban Cleaners. If any, I don't know if any of you was from the wall, probably most of them are, but everybody knew my grandpa. Uh, he was uh, a staple in the community, I guess. Everybody got their clothes dry cleaned through him. So everybody came through the door, one shape, form, or fashion. Uh, Mom lived in Gretna, in old Gretna, and dad lived. When they, when they split, dad moved into the camp down in Happy Jack, which is in the old village uh, on the west side of Port Arthur. Not Port Arthur, Port Sulphur. Good Lord. Back where the old sulphur mine was. So dad got me every other weekend and then sometimes weeks during the summertime. So yeah, and if grandpa was going down there, I was going with grandpa because the elementary school, Homedale Elementary, was literally just a couple of blocks down the road from my grandpa. So when I got out of school in the afternoon, mom was at work. I went to grandpa's house. So if he was going down, I'd go down with him. So I, I spent a lot. I was either in the city or on the bayou and like no in between. What did your grandparents do for a living? Grandpa on dad's side owned the cleaners. Mom, uh, Grandma Grace was a, a stay-at-home mom. My mom's dad owned a bowling. Well, my mom, my grandma did, actually. My grandpa was a, a crane operator, which is how the family winded up in New Orleans in the first place. He helped build the first GNO bridge. And then my grandma owned a bowling shop. She was a professional, semi-professional bowler back in the days. A woman could bowl your socks off, but she owned a, a bowling shop. They made bowling balls and drill holes and bowling balls and all of that good stuff, uniforms. And 
very diverse, I guess. Well, were you drawn to anything in school? And did you have any any jobs growing up before you got into the industry? Trouble. That's what I was always in. Always in trouble for something. Uh, yeah, band. I was in band. I played football. Loved playing football. Hated baseball, which was ironic. My dad loved baseball, and he's all right. He can give a care less one way or the other about football. Uh, but, yeah, I played ball in school all the way up, Little League. I mean, I, we call it ear hole football. <laughs> we were so little, the helmet just sat on top of our shoulder pads. We could turn our head sideways and look through the ear hole. Yeah, West Bank Championship, we won it. We played against in the city for the state, for the city's championship. Went to the All-Stars in football. I think six of us went to All-Stars. Three of us winded up in the NFL. So, yeah, it's it's – that that's sports. It was always something to do athletically or sports. If I could get into it, if I could get into it, did a lot of hunting, fishing with dad. So always outdoors. I didn't, I, I didn't have much for use for books. My wife is the book reader. She, she's the intelligent part. I, I stay out of that. Was college ever in the cards for you? So I signed up, I went in the army right out of high school. In 91, my mom decided to move me to Mississippi. And you want to talk about a culture shock. I was so freaking pissed because she moved my ass to Mississippi because I was dead set. My whole family had gone to West Jefferson High School. It was just a thing, I guess. Looking back, I was an idiot. But I wanted to go to West Jeff. I wanted to graduate where the whole family had gone. And she moved me literally the year before I was going to West Jeff to get me out of all the crap that I was in on the West Bank to begin with. Winded up in, in Mississippi, had to shuffle back and forth a couple of times between her and dad during, during the, the course of this. And then I winded up having to go back to Mississippi to graduate. With, uh, between all of the hectic and the heyday of the family stuff that was going on, I signed up, joined the army, I left a boot camp, Winded up hurting my back in boot camp, face planted in the dirt. Come to find out, screwed my back up. Army didn't want to pay for it, so they medically discharged me. But I'd gone in as a 67 Victor, which was supposed to be an observation scout helicopter preparer at the time, which meant that I was going to try to pursue somewhat of a dream of flying helicopters for the guys offshore. Yeah, well, that, that that dream turned into a really big fantasy to begin with. Uh, didn't have 20-20 vision, so technically you can't fly. So I, I found the loophole, tested really high on the ASFAB. I had a whole choice of stuff that I could have done, but I picked that one because the scout helicopter only had two people on it, and you had to fly with the helicopter at all times. So I was kind of a co-pilot thing. I would get stick time no matter what. But I came home broke, and I do mean broke, not money-wise, physically. Didn't know what the, what I was going to do. My stepdad was jumping down my throat that I needed to find something to do. And I uh, called my old band director up there at the, at the high school. And he's like, let me make a phone call, you know. So he called Mr. Rawls up at uh, PRCC, which is a community college in Poplarville. Uh, 
Raw said that he's like, I got one place open left. Send him up here. I'm like, all right. So I drove up to Poplarville, filled all, all the things and did the, the test, the whole nine yards. And I winded up making it. And I was in college when the family went to crap again. That must have been in 96. Yeah, that was in 96 because that was probably one of the worst weeks of my life was in that year. Winded up, they they got none. I don't know. It was it was a bad situation at the house. And I winded up at my sister's house in New Orleans, back down here on the West Bank. Prom was coming up. I go to dad. I got money for prom to go back to take my date to prom. Coming back, best friend of mine met me at the bowling alley. Dad was at the bowling alley. <laughs> Leave the bowling alley, coming home, back to my sister's house. She lived in Woodmere, crossing the Paco Bridge. Coming down to the Paco, well, my best friend was supposed to ride with me that night, and I told him, don't, don't leave your truck here in the parking lot, because it was old Don Carter's, not a very reputable neighborhood to begin with. And he's like, no, nah, I'll just ride with you. And I'm like, no, nah, just go roll your windows up. It's raining. He left the windows down in his truck. So when he walked off, I drove off and left him, which means he had to bring his truck. He was following me that night. Come down to the, the, the Lopalco Bridge on the west side of it, and some dumb ass stole a pickup truck, come off of Destrahan Avenue, and literally didn't yield and went straight across. And I hit him, he was airborne. I didn't I don't remember any of the accident. Totaled my car, hospital bills, injured right hand, shaved head. Pretty nice little scar, four permanent teeth blown. So I lost college scholarship, car, girlfriend, and life as I knew it all in the week. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was bad. But I went to work in a fireworks factory over the week, over the summer, earned enough money to buy my next car, you know, something to get back and forth to work. I was still living with my sister when I just finally had to figure it out, you know. And I always kept going back to, look, I need to get the hell away from all of them, period. It's just what I need to do. And that's a hard thing to figure out. I can't go back to college now and then dropped out the whole nine yards. So I had a couple of friends that were deckhands and tankermen and things, and they put me in touch. <clears throat> None of the big companies ever worked out. On one weekend, I drove down to dad. I was hanging out at daddy's house and, uh, I didn't know it, but dad's, dad's connected everywhere in Plaquemines Parish. And he's like, I got a friend of mine that owns a couple of boats. Let me give him a call. So he called Gary. And uh, Gary's like, yeah, I'll get him on. Literally went to work. Big whopping. $35 a day. Ooh, I was in the money, right? Yeah. Worked on a, he had 12 boats. What year was this? This, this had to be 97-ish, 96, 97, somewhere in that neck of the woods. I want to say, no, it had to be earlier than that. Yeah, it was around 96. Then middle or somewhere in the end of 96, because I was on the river for, for the 96 floods when the black sank. Yeah, mine must be 96. I don't know, all them dates freaking run together after all of these years.
So you said he had about 12 boats? Yeah, he had 12, I think. They were all small boats. Uh, I think the biggest boat he owned was 1,200 horsepower. And that was, as we used to say, well, as we like to say, it's kind of make-believe horsepower back in the days because it was all Detroit's. But he had one boat that was in Fouchon, the Gary John. And an old man named Billy used to run it. And it serviced, it was a lugger tug. I think it was a 600. It wasn't a very big boat to begin with. Little two-deck humpback boat. <clears throat> but he serviced the oil path, the oil field in Timberlear Bay. So we would run from Timberlear. We would bring them fuel and water, run out there and then fill the water tank up. There was a living quarter barge out there. And we tie up at the end of the living quarter barge. And then all of the boats that they used to run around and do things in the field, they ran on diesel. So they always had to come back to the Gary John. We had a fuel system on the boat. So we had to learn, I had to learn a whole new thing, how to pump fuel to somebody. They wake you up at all hours of the night. Hey, I need some fuel run them tickets in the whole nine yards. I got introduced to Cooter to scared the crap out of me because, you know, he's the size of a small freaking black bear. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. But being over there, Gary always, if there was a rig move or if there was something going on in Timberlear Bay, he always had to hire a boat to go work them. And he's like, I got boats tied up in Venice and I could send them over there, but it takes them fell. And the, com the companies didn't want to pay the money because his captains would take the boats from Venice and come all the way up the river to Algiers, go all the way over and then back down by Lafouque. It takes forever to go that way. I said, why don't they just go across the back? He's like, none of them know it. I said, well, I do. So he paid me captain's pay. For a week to do nothing but drive the boat, each each boat, back and forth from Venice over to Fouchon. And I'm like, we used to do this all the time in the shrimp boat, you know, or, or whatever. But the Southwest Louisiana Canal, and I can't even tell you the name of the channel anymore that runs up behind Grand Isle, but there's, there's an old channel that runs back there. So you just run across Barataria Bay. Hit the channel and come up and get in the, in the Southwest Louisiana Canal. I said the hardest thing is going around the wells right there by Leeville Bridge. But I stayed, I stayed with Gary a couple of months, I think, just to kind of get my feet wet. And I had a friend of mine that was working for Compass. Hmm. Familiar name? Compass Dockside. Yeah. Eddie Conrad. He worked on the Georgie. And uh he's the one that got my name thrown in the mix with Keith Yelvin. And I did an interview and I winded up leaving. And I went and worked for Compass, and we did RV runs. They loaded the RV. They had the RV barges at the time. But we'd load the barges with RVs in Algiers Canal. And then they would stop in Lafitte. They would stop at uh, just west of Homa, tie off in the trees. And then they would send out, uh, like, they did swamp tours and they did other things. And then we go up somewhere. I don't remember where else we went. We went somewhere west. May have been New Iberia or somewhere. I don't remember where exactly we went. And then we'd come back out, go up the Port Allen route, come out of Port Allen, relax, turn, go up, 
and then they tie off at uh, the public dock in Baton Rouge, the one everybody sees with the big loops on it. And then we turn loose from there for a couple of days and then go down and tie off in New Orleans. And then they spend a couple of days in New Orleans and then we come down, make Algiers lots, go back to Algiers Canal and then offload all of the, all the RVs. And it, it changed out. You know, we sometimes should prowler campers. We had one trip a year that was nothing but Prevos, nothing but buses, big, big buses sitting across the boat barges. We're like, man, the, the mud, the buses on the barges are worth more than the boat and the barges together. <laughs> but they were they were great. It was good. Uh, I remember that was definitely 96 because the river was up like crazy that year. It stayed up. Because they were old empty red flag barges that they laid concrete over the top of. And it was old spoonbill rakes. So we tie off on the upper dock on the on the public dock at Baton Rouge, and the gangway went down to the very upper section of the freaking dude. We held on by 50 feet. We had the thing wired in with more wires than you could count. And that's all. 600 and 700 and something odd feet of tow. The boat was actually hanging down almost about 100 feet above the, the, the casino. And while we was hanging on was 50 feet. <laughs> it was a lot. But I remember it because KW was the old, uh, he was the pilot. And he used to jump back and forth between the Miss Georgie and the Delta Queen. And man, we that that hitch was crazy because it was so high. Friday night, was it Friday night? Must have been Friday night. Scared the crap out of us. We land on the dock. We all sit there. And that unmistakable bam, where the whole boat shook. Like you just know something broke, something broke loose. We was all jumping out of our, our skins trying to get up on the barge. <laughs> Come up to the push knee and we walk through the grid as a gate, you know, with a with a generator running. And when you come up the push knee, couldn't see anything. It was like it was shut out fog. But it wasn't fog, it was steam. It was the Delta Queen. St. Francisville, they used to take the Delta Queen up to St. Francisville and tie it off at the uh, at the St. Francisville Ferry, and that's where they would ferry people off to go do their tours and stuff. But the ferry land, it was flooded. So KW being our pilot, he called, he saw the boat there, and he's like, hey, can I land on y'all? Yeah, well, when the Delta Queen lands, she lands. It, boom, and when he hit, they caught the first line, he blew off the steam. Well, the steam comes out those back windows in the old boat. You couldn't see anything. <laughs> scared to have living crap out of us it happened to be memorial day weekend so this is friday night saturday we have a normal day sunday morning we wake up again to boom 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 and i'm talking about boat rattling because they shot the guns off on the uss kid which is right next to it i'm like man we got to get the hell out of baton Rouge. <laughs> it scared the living shit out of us it was crazy but it's something you don't get to see everywhere you know I don't think they even do the, the barges anymore. I know they don't do the barges anymore. Hell, they even tied the hotel barges up. But yeah, we got we did that for most of the year, and then half of the year we did freight. So you had to keep the boat up for the most part, you know, because you were running freight, and that's what we did. We tripped six packs from uh, old Oregon Fleet, which is right there above Algiers with Zito Algiers. Trip them through Algiers and in, in, industrial locks, and then 
over to Gulfport, Mobile, and Pascagoula. And that was that was the introduction into tow building, just breaking it, making it, breaking it, making it, breaking it, making it, breaking all the time. And that was all on deck, huh? That was all on deck. All of what, it was on deck. What was, uh, I guess, onboarding and training back in that day? <laughs> there wasn't no such a thing. There was no that onboarding training crap didn't come around until well after pilot's degree, and I think that was in '96. So that was that's when the industry kind of took a big, huge ninety degree turn and went the other way. But safety and it was an afterthought, man. Like steel toe boots, yeah, sometimes, mostly. But if you were not doing like actual rigging, uh, -uh. way back in the no, man. It, this industry, in 20-some-odd years, you well, I don't think, no, you was there at the very end, but when we used to go to captain's meetings, I used to tell them all the time, I'm like, you got a whole room full of convicts. I'm like, this industry literally turned con, you trying to turn convicts into captains. I said, I, I could tell you guys that would literally go to bars, pay the bar tab, Guys would get so drunk, they get in fights. They call the police and have them arrested. And then go to the jailhouse, bail them out of jail, and then stick them on that boat and make them stay on the boat till they paid the bail money back. But y'all can't figure out why all these captains got seven DWIs. Like, who's chain y'all jerking, man? Y'all, Have y'all forgot where y'all came from? It was an OUTV. It wasn't an MTV. Y'all put those regulations in the place. Y'all changed it. Don't blame them. It, it, no, this is a whole different boat. We used, we used to get on a boat. Dead honest, Tim. You get a phone call. They find out who you were. They would call you and tell you, don't show up to the boat with no less than two cases of beer and a pound of weed. If you don't come with that, then don't come to the boat. Period. Point blank and up front, Mike, all right, we had two wash machines on the boat. One was for clothes, the other one was for beer. That's the industry I grew up in with them heyday fools. The decking crew, your training was that PA system on the top. So when you screwed up, everybody heard you getting ripped by every freaking captain in the fleet. If you was in Channel View over there in Texas, Everybody in Channel View just knew how big you was because you was getting ripped constantly until you got it right. It was it was always a thing. That's always been the history of this. It, I don't know what part. No, the, the safety part of that didn't change. Whew, wow. Compass was probably the first. Compass Dioxide was probably the first because they built the pad. So these pads you hear about, the original pad is on Algiers Point. That's where Compass Dockside's original office was. And he built a facility. Eddie Conrad built a facility there. So when you went in, you went in for training. You stayed there. You didn't leave, just like you was on a boat. They made you sweep, mop, the whole nine yards. And then he had makeshift barges out there where they would learn and teach you wires. That's probably where it all originated as far as training and safety went. It was Eddie Conrad did that. And if 
I know a bunch of these guys and just watch this freaking thing. They're going to know who Eddie Conrad is because that man is a beast. A beast. I, I, yeah, I've seen him tear buttholes into the Coast Guard and they go, they didn't know what to do because, yeah, he about to own you. He, he was, he was a, a staple. He was literally the beginning of Memco. Eddie Conrad had Conrad and, and <clears throat> Compass Marine was bought out by Memco. But what Memco guys didn't know was that Memco started off as Metco. So you had Marine Equipment Towing Company, which was the boats, and then Marine Equipment Management Company, which was the barges. When Memco, eventually Memco incorporated Metco, and then they used the boats as collateral to build the new barges. And that's when they had the new double skin barges and they was faring out the, the single skin barges. And that's when Memco took off, like really, really big. But that's how they winded up being bought out eventually by Electric Fuel Corporation, which was the EFC barges. You see all of these numbers on barges all the time and these prefixes, and that's where they all came from. But because Memco had so many contracts with Electric Fuel Corporation, Electric Fuel Corporation was like, it's cheaper to have them in-house than it is to keep paying them. So they, they bought the company. And then they just went on down the line. The Electric Fuel Corporation got bought out by another one and it got bought out by another one and got bought out by another one and eventually it became American Electric Power. <clears throat> For the longest, there was two separate entities. But that's kind of where the stripes came from in, in, in AEP because I learned this from Matt, that it was the conversion of red and blue. Memco's colors was a, I ain't gonna say it because it ain't good. But them ugly stripes that Memco had, ugly as hell. Water-based paint, make the boat rush like crazy. It was stupid, but they was trying to be green. Uh, and then AP was red. So the conversion of the two red and the blue stripes, that's where it came from. AP was something special. Certain people destroyed it. Backing up a little bit. Uh... You said uh, Eddie Conrad brought you on with Compass? No, well, Eddie owned it. Eddie Conrad owned Compass Marine. Uh, Keith Yeldon was in personnel. He's the one that actually hired me. And I think he's still working for Florida Marine. I know he's got a boat named after him. Well, where'd you end up meeting them? How'd you get entangled with uh, that group? Like I said, I had uh, Kevin Hamlin, a couple of guys that was working on the deck. They brought me over. I worked for Memco for... I don't remember how long it was. I really don't. I winded up on Laganda. I worked out of Texas City, working the old uh, Coke dock down there, the Amcor Coke dock. And they had a run that was between, it was two boats that worked. The KCC ran from Texas City to Port Arthur, and the Laganda ran from Texas City up to Houston, at Deer Park, Houston. And I, I quit, I quit Compass. Yeah, pilots agree. I walked off the boat with pilots agree, trying to help something to do something what is pilots agree oh uh, pilots agreed was a a way back thing <laughs> you talk to the guys in the office they would tell you it's a scourge of the earth but for so long during them years of oetvs and stuff they they paid those guys enough money to barely keep their noses above water and that was it you didn't make it and there was no regulations as to how many hours you can drive or keep you on a boat. They threatened you with your job. 
there's a similar pastime to that. If you didn't do, if they told you, if you had an 800 horsepower boat and they told you to take an eight pack of barges at High River, you took an eight pack of barges at High Freaking River. It didn't matter because if you didn't do it, they would literally tell you on the VHF radio, if you won't do it, we'll find somebody that will. You can go in your, get in your truck, go home. That's exactly the way it was. It was it was dog eat dog world. You you did what the hell you had to do to make your money. Pilots agreed was a strike that was supposed to to change all of that. Everybody's going to change, you know, strike at the same time, walk off, shut the industry down until some some kind of a negotiation, union, whatever, came into place to make them see what the hell's wrong with the industry. A lot of people would tell you it was a failure. I think it had some success because all of a sudden the wages jumped up because they realized we were in a crack. But it was all during that time where the industry shot themselves in the foot because so much, anything you did that worked offshore was a day for day thing. It was a 14 and 14, a seven and seven, 28, 28, 21 and 21. It was a day for day. You worked a day, you went home a day. You didn't get the hell off the boat. That was just the whole thing. They're the ones that realized the office, we could, we could pay three guys to get the same thing done instead of paying that fourth crew member, which is where your two-for-one schedules showed up. This stupid 14 and 7 and the 20 and 10s and the, yeah, those, those schedules, that's a screw you schedule because instead of having that fourth guy, you don't need it. And the other guy's making more money. Well, they were money hungry to begin with. So, yeah, everybody went to a two-for-one schedule. Well, what you just did was cut out a whole third quarter of your industry. You don't have – the guys went back to plumbing, carpentry work. They would go back to doing anything to get the hell away from the river because they it was just – it was a dog-eat-dog world. That's all it was. I know we all left the river at one time and left. I left. I was an underground boring guy. I used to run a little machine and – Drill a hole underneath stuff. Did that for a couple of years before I winded up back on the river. It, it's a it's a love-hate relationship. But yeah, violence agree was a huge thing back in the day. But it changed a lot of things. People don't realize it, but it did. Wages was one of them. Well, walk me through your uh, your journey to the wheelhouse. Ooh. Stephen Matthew. I worked for Florida Marine. I don't remember how many years. And that's that's another one of those those training things where they force they they tell you one thing but they mean two other things. I wanted to, I wanted to be on, in a warehouse or in the engine room actually, and got told, well, you got to be a tankerman before you could be in the engine room. Man, BS. So I went to tankerman round, got my tankerman's license, but because I had so much experience decking, I winded up. Rex and 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 Steve and James Cresswell, rest his soul. He just passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, all of them were on a Dougie D. Nunley. And we used to run from Primcore Dock in West Memphis up the Ohio River and up the Illinois River every once in a while. We we went all over the place for a while. We southbound all the way to Baton Rouge. We did a lot of running back and forth. Winded up switching boats we went from the nunley over to uh the marie d anyway long story short 
deck for all of them, pulling cuts, the whole nine yards, Illinois River stuff, flipping boats. And I did three months, December, January, and February in Joliet, Illinois, where the highest recorded temperature was negative 17. So cold. I'm 150 pounds. I hate the cold. I literally hate it. Seven layers of clothes. You walk out the door and within 10 minutes, you're in stage one hypothermia for the next 12 hours. I walk back that freaking barge in a three-foot snowdrift, and I'm staring at the wheelhouse, and Matthew's up there in a short sleeve shirt, drinking a hot cup of coffee, making twice as much money as I am today. But I rode the boat with a man named David Trosclair. And he's Randy Trosclair's cousin. David had a tankerman's license at one time, and he, he let it go or whatever. He winded up back on the bank shrimping and stuff. And that man is family, literally family to me. David said, look, he couldn't read or write very well. Him and Brad, Brad Juno, who works for Golden, I think now, uh, he's a captain of his own boat. We were all on a boat together. And David, David said, look, I need you to help me get my tankerman's license. And he said, as soon as I get my tankerman's license, I'm going to get my captain's license. I'm like, whatever, Dave. You know, you kind of blow that thing off. You hear it all the time. David was a man of his word. Went through tankerman school, talked it all out. He passed the test. He comes back to the boat. We got on the boat. <laughs> we rode together. David gets on a boat and he says, so you ready to go to, to Wheelman school? I'm like, no, financially I wasn't ready, right? He's like, no, we're we going. He's like, I, I've got a schedule. He, Wait, what? He, Bro, you don't understand. Well, my mom, I was still in Mississippi. You know, I got a Mississippi driver's license on the whole nine yards. And I give my mom help for the day because she lived at 15 miles over the state line. And my out-of-state tuition for Young Memorial was $1,500. So every time when I'm riding with her, I'm like, that's another $100. That's another $100. That's another $100. She said, will you stop? I'm like, would you not move me to the state? But you did anyway. But David paid it. David paid it. And then I, I paid him back. But I spent, uh, we got off the boat, and I spent three weeks at David's house. We worked a 28-28 schedule. So I stayed three weeks at David's and every night drilling him through it because he couldn't, he, he, he could get it the way he could read the questions enough to understand what it was to give the answer. Tim, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people say, oh, I find joy in this. Nah, I've seen joy. It's an awesome thing to experience because the day that that guy walked out that classroom and told David, that he passed and he was now going to be a licensed captain. That man literally had to sit down on a freaking table because he thought he was having a heart attack. Like he was that alive at the moment. It was, it was an awesome, scary as hell. It was scary as hell to watch because I really thought he was having a heart attack. But he was just so freaking happy. Because his dad is Joe Trosclair, who was one of Dennis Passatine's main go-to guys. He used to bring out all of Dennis's new boats when he was having them built. So Joe, old man Joe and me go way back too, but it's, it's, he was so excited to be 
because David got got to the point the way he had reached what his dad was. He was a captain, and that's all he ever wanted to be. But yeah, that's literally how I got it. Florida fired me on my honeymoon. So when I got back, uh, we got married in 04, end of February in 04. Uh, Florida fired me on my honeymoon, went back and stayed at home. Uh, my wife broke her knee on her honeymoon. So that's literally how I found out I wasn't working for Florida Green anymore. Trying to get her put on the insurance. She broke her knee. So I stayed home till Kara's knee got mostly better. And in April, I think it was April or May of that year, my license finally came in and started making some phone calls. Uh, James Cresswell and a couple of the other guys that I was really good with. And they told me to go to Houston. So I did. I went to Boom. I worked at Boom two hitches, I think. No, I drove over there and I rode a whole hitch and thought I was going to get hired, filled out all the paperwork, the whole nine yards. So the old man that was on the boat, I asked him, like, does anybody else you know around here? And he's like, yeah, go down the road, talk to Harz Marine Service. So I went down the road, literally talked to Charlie and him at Harz Marine Service, and I went to work for Charlie. And I stayed at Harz for a long time. Uh, literally the second hitch on the boat, I was made relief captain. But I'm that generation that I didn't have to go through this tow-art crap. But what I did have to have is six, was it six or seven letters of recommendations from captains in order to have my license issued to me. You didn't go through all this other thing. You had to have somebody speak on your behalf and write a letter. And then, you know, the whole nine yards. I was literally within four weeks, five weeks of the end of the grandfather clause. So when I got my license in 04, I was a master. I was 25 years old. For the first three companies I worked for, I was the youngest master of towing vessel they had. Some of the guys were still running on their OUTVs and waiting for their master license to come in. Second hitch at Hards, I was a relief captain. The pilot quit, or the, the captain moved over to another boat. Relief captain moved the captain's position. And Charlie called uh, Ray. And he's like, you think he's ready? He's like, oh yeah, he can do everything I can do. Probably better. So yeah, it made me a relief captain. They would training. <laughs> right. There's the sticks. Get after it. But yeah, it's literally into the wheelhouse. But and to give you an idea, Tim, I had two tankermen on a boat. I was on a, one of the smallest boats, the Captain Craig, which is a little BS 600 horsepower spider house boat. Used to be old Tesoro Commando. And uh, we pushed a 30,000 barrel bunker barge around Houston. So you had to back that barge in the hot foot bunker dock two, sometimes three times a day with a 600 with no flanking rudders. So you learn real quick, like small boat, big barge, figure it out. And you know how it is in Houston. It ain't that the wind is blowing. It's what the wind is blowing. It's, it's always blowing over there. You just have to figure it out and not crash it. Just don't crash anything. It's, it's, it's it. That's all you got to do. Just don't do that. I don't know what part of the memo these new guys lost, but that's that's it. Just don't, don't crash nothing. But yeah, that's that's where I broke out in the Houston Harbor, running up and down, back and forth. They had, they had, a, they had a job come up, I think. 
Yeah, there was a job come up that delivered some barges down at Fushaw, and I rode with Mike McLean and brought the barges down and then came back up. Went to work for Waxler. What well, was that a mistake? Uh, quit there. Went from Waxler to, where the hell did I go? Caillou Island. Yeah, went to work for Billy. And at Caillou Island, I worked on a little house and act. And probably Stephen Davis, I love you, brother, because, man, he taught me a lot. Taught me a lot. But I got to learn my own mud hole. And I, I've been in mud holes that half of the guys can't even pronounce, much less even know where the hell they're at. It's it, it, posting sheet. That's that's a <laughs> that's a that's a whole that's a hilarious subject with me. But yeah, the little Al did everything: uh, tow lining, drilling rigs, dredge pipe, uh, working with dredges, anchor pulling, anchor barges, moving this, move that, go grab this, move a four hundred foot by one hundred foot offshore deck barge. My least favorite of all jobs. Hey, head to the sea buoy. The boat ought to be there within 12 hours. Yeah, right. And they show up a day and a half later while you was out there bobbing around like a cork. Because you had to tail them in. And eventually you towed it. Because they didn't know they were inland. We did everything. It was so. It was such a thing that, that uh, I used to meet the uh, John 316 all the time. And Captain Tracy LaBella was on there. He called me one day, switch over on the radio, and he's, he's like, I got a question to ask. I was pushing a houseboat, and on one engine and clutch, and he had to come by me. And the houseboat was smaller than a little Al was. And he said, uh, Trey. I said, yeah. He said, uh, do y'all ever tie anything up on the starboard side of that boat? Said, yep. He's like, you're the only boat I ever know that uses all four sides. That's why I call you all the time on the radio, because I don't ever know whether you're faced up to something, you're towing something, or you got something alongside. You, you, you all, all four sides. I said, well, you see the strings hanging out the tires on the side of the boat, on. He said, yeah. He said, all four sides get used, including the bottom, because we use it to dig holes. <laughs> but yeah, when I left, when I left Caillou Island is when I went to AEP. And I know that was in 2009. I met you six years later, so I guess walk me through uh, joining AEP and then departing AEP, and uh, I guess we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, got hired on at AEP. I called Matt, Matt Lagarde, good old, old friend of mine. Uh, he's known me since I was a, a kid, truck truck clubs and all of that good stuff. Matt, Matt knows me, the bad side of me and the good side of me. Uh, called Matt. Matt got me set up with, with Sean Dozat. And I went in for an interview and Sean hired me. And uh, I was on the safety spirit, I think, to begin with, with Denny. Denny Palmer was the captain on the boat at the time, I think. And yeah, that's, that's what we did. He hired me literally to run six packs back and forth between New Orleans and Houston. And that's what AEP was trying to get into, was trying to get their contracts back out of the, the canal. Uh, which worked. Eventually, we had four barges going in. <laughs> Funny thing is, we were sitting right up here at Dockside Fleet, matter of fact, on a spirit. Denny will tell you, because they called. Sean called me and said, hey, we're going to promote you to captain. Now, this was when the safety quest hit the freaking high lines, knocked the high lines down in Houston. He said, we're going to promote you to captain and we're going to give you the quest. 
I said, you do know you're trying to promote a pirate to take care of a boat full of scallywags, right? I said, I don't think y'all have thought about this enough. You, you, you obviously have not talked to the right people. You, Sean, you need to go go out to the office and down there and go talk to Matt for a little while. We, we talk, I hung up on him. I literally hung up on Sean. Phone rang again, picked it up. I said, Sean, I know you ain't had time to walk down the office. He, he's, two, he's two doors down from you. You need to go talk to Matt. I talked to Matt. I'm telling you this. I said, you ain't talked long enough. Go back and do it again. And I hung up on him again. <laughs> About five minutes later, he calls me back. He's like, don't you hang up the phone. I said, all right, what? And he goes, I'm in Matt's office. Matt's like, hey, Trey. <laughs> I said, Man, y'all ain't talked about this long enough. Y'all, you can't have covered this enough. I'm like, all right, that's what y'all want to do, I guess so. Well, they brought the request back from Houston, tied up at the dock and convent. They took the crew from the quest. That's when you showed up later on. But they put the crew from the quest on the Safety Star, which was a brand new boat running in Mobile. So I got a captain's position on a boat that I wasn't supposed to go to with a crew doing a job that was a brand new thing. So I didn't have one boss. I had six. Like, and still trying to figure out this, this whole, man, I had more post-it notes. It looked like a rainbow in, in the wheelhouse on both sides. They used to laugh at me because it was trying to keep track. I got in trouble for sending flea pictures to the wrong people in the whole, uh, it was a thing. But it, it, it literally, I used to call it spinning plates, you know? Spinning plates, just keep the plates spinning. That's all you got to do. Just don't let none of them fall. Just keep the plates spinning. Love Mama Vic. Love freaking Joe Ward. It was, it was an, always an interesting conversation later on because started the job, me and Danny Snyder and, and uh, John Wayne Bowman and a couple of others, but we all did the safety stall. Homer was over there running the safety runner. Uh, Bruce Engert, I think, was running the safety forever up at, at, at uh, Calvert. So there was a lot of communications and a lot of trying to figure stuff out from one to the other. But Bruce, Bruce was dealing with them and dispatch. Homer had just dispatch. He was just going between the two. I had the city docks, the Alabama State Terminal, people there at Pinto Island, dispatch, and then the boats coming in and out, you know, the El Sol de Caribe, Shardy, and the rest of them. So I had stuff coming down in both. It was, it was, yeah. And I was it. So you had to run, and then you had the cleaning dock that was all the way up at Chickasabow Creek. So you had to go run through Chickasabow Railroad Bridge and go drop barges off. You had to schedule a time because you didn't want to leave the dock and then need a, a, a boat or a barge shuffled in. And it was a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails that went back and forth to get that whole thing even close to being worked out. But yeah, we used to stage the barges on the outside of the ship dock. Matter of fact, I still got his phone number in my phone. But Unit 12 called me one day because the ships used to call us. And we used to have to take the empties off the outside the dock, put them back in the staging area because the ship pilots wanted to turn around right there to go to McDuffie's. And I'm like, oh, man, all right, y'all yeah, get it moved. Well, that day, thank God, uh, I don't remember his unit number. I got him in my phone. But he, he called and he's like, hey, what channel you got? So I told him, he switches over. 
He's like, do y'all have permission from that doc to put those barges out there? And yes, sir. He's like, they don't stick out further than the cranes do? No, it's only three barges wide. He said, don't worry about them barges. You leave them right there. He's like, as long as you're working for them, they ain't got no business. He got a turning basin. He can go up there and turn around. He just don't want to back that ship down. He's like, I'll call you back in another five minutes or so, 10 minutes or whatever. He must have been one of the head honchos in the pilot association because he called that dude and ripped him a new button. Because he, he called me back on the radio. He's like, don't worry about moving the barges. I'll just go up to the turn base. And that's all that was ever said about it. But because y'all could stay barges on the outside, that's the reason. Because I was, there was a lot that went into it. A lot of undercover and the back scenes stuff. And eventually, Ross, they built the Matt Lagarde and the Joe Ward. And they built them specifically to do training. That's why that little sea land container shit house was built on the back of them so that they'd have an extra bunk room to train pilots to run west or to run east because they didn't have any canal guys. They were, the licenses were separated. And they gave Ross, they gave Ross the Joe, I think. Yeah, he had the Joe Ward. So he was running, he was doing that stupid Brownsville run with them six, them six sugar barges. Well, the first boat to come out was the first. So Ross had the first. So when the first came out, uh, Sean's like, hey, we got a new crew going to be starting because they was hiring the local guys from Mobile so that they could be a lunch bucket, mostly. You know, they could go home and whatever. And he's like, I know y'all want to be on a liveaboard. Da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, do you have any things? And I said, yeah, I want either the safety first or the safety spirit. I don't want it any of them other ones. He's like, well, you're going to get the first. I'm like, woo, great. I get the old dog. I like it. I don't like these new boats. These new boats suck. Every time something breaks, you, it broke. Yeah, you wind up with, with Mario Bird in the engine room with a fid stuck in a fuel tank trying to hold the fuel from coming out of it because the pipe broke. Why the pipe broke? I don't know. Maybe because y'all welded them all the way around like dummies. But you ever get Mario on here and ask him about it? He'll tell you, yeah, I was knee-deep in fuel. All of the craziness that went on with a new boat. It's always something. The runner, when the runner bent the, its rudders, yeah, that was a thing because they put the bolt in the wrong place and bent the bolt like this around the back of the rudder. Couldn't find one to fit it. They had to cut it. Move. It was a whole thing. Even after they blew it up. See, I know the guy that got blown up on the boat because I was out here on the boats. But yeah. I winded up with the first. I winded up with the old war horse. And it was it was a thing. I ran everywhere and anywhere. Like if they had a problem, I, 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 they were sending me. They were sending me everywhere. I went from <laughs> the big thing they used to always get on to me is I had two spill kits. Why you got two spill kits? You only need one. Well, because this, the, the Joe, the first was still wired for the bow thrust. They left the bow thruster. They just took all of the stuff out of it. So in case something happened to the Joe, and I had to go get the Joe, because that's who was going to go get him, I had, to, I had to go get it. So I had to be able to plug all of his stuff into my boat. But I had a spill kit, an extra spill kit on the back of the boat, just for the Mr. Wally, which was the bow thruster. Because sometimes you put it in the fleet, you had to take all that stuff off. Or they would put it on a boat, the way nobody would stay up, steal it while it was in the fleet. So I always had an extra spill kit. So anywhere from Brownsville to Mobile to Calvert City, all the way up to Convict, was all the safety first. And that's literally what I 
we were supposed to just run from Houston to New Orleans. But you know as well as I do, Michelle Champagne and 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 uh, James and Darren Chambers. We used to joke about it. I used to call them Mama Vicky and and, and Papa Joe because it was like having custody papers. Whoever winded up on weekend duty, if we was eastbound and we come through our just locks, whoever had weekend dispatch duty, custody papers got stole. I wasn't going back into that ditch <laughs> until Monday morning when everybody showed back up. And Joe's like, where's my boat? Why, why is he? Uh, yeah, they used to strap the hell out of me. 15 barges, just put them on it until it goes backwards and then take one off. But I've been up the river with 14. Yeah, nine loads. Two, three, four, 13 empties. No, three and four empties and, and nine loads. On the safety first, on a 1550. All the convent. Denny calling me because Denny was on a uh, he was on a voyage. He was running a fleet boat up there. And they were all bragging on it because this new boat, man, it's so strong, it's so strong. And it was crew change day, so I parked down in the bend. And he come down and said, man, you, you, you. Tell me where you want this tow. Well, Trey, I'm gonna be down. There. I, I look. I got. I got. That. I said, I don't, dude, it's get off that. It was crew change day. I'm like, you either come get it, or I'm tying it off in the trees. You pick your poison. All right, we're coming. <laughs> then he comes down there with the board and he faces up. And I took off like boat running for the boat dock. And he called me. And he's like, Hey, how fast did you push this thing northbound? I said about 3.5, 3.3, somewhere in there, high average. He's like, Oh. I'm like, yeah, your little 2.6 don't look like crap, does it? Your boat ain't strong. <laughs> He's like, man. We found out later on that it was the wheels on the first. It was the first one built. We affectionately called it the napkin boat. Tim Callahan comes on as, as port engineer, right? He comes down. We're sitting over here in Algiers Canal waiting on Algiers Lock. Tim gets on the boat. And he's got his little 1550 sheet, and he's going to go through it. I said, you can throw that piece of paper away. He said, why? I said, this is the napkin boat. Napkin boat? I said, you ever had an idea? Wrote it down on a napkin when you was drunk in a bar? and got home and you built it? Didn't look anything like the shit on the napkin? He's like, yeah. I'm like, y'all got drunk in a bar and wrote the safety first down on a napkin? Gave the napkin to the shipyard and went home and slammed the drunk off. It's this is the napkin boat, bro. It, nothing's going to fit. Yeah, it ain't going to be the same. Oh, no. No, it don't. Different wheels, different oil tanks, different thing. The whole boat was eight inches shorter. I don't know where they lost eight inches of steel, but they did. Matt told me later on that when he went to pick the boat up, it was really a nightmare. They didn't even put a dash in the boat. It was just the two steel beams coming up to hold the sticks. That was it. The windows that was on the side of the wheelhouse was in the front. The wheel, they had to cut the whole fleet deck off the boat and drop it down and re-weld it. They put it in the wrong place. <laughs> like, there was so many things. It was just different completely. I was like, bro, if you want the rest of the boats to fit, you got to come here first. But the Pride was the next boat built. Don't look anything like the first. <laughs> Nothing at all. Yeah, I had a good crew. As a matter of fact, uh, my last decade from the first is sending me his tour stuff. This time when I get home, I can sign up off from the days he did when he worked with me. But he's the last of my decades. They're all they're all driving boats now. 
or they they own their own businesses or own, own the bank. That's it. I done trained them all. I done had them too, bro. Danny, Danny, <laughs> Mario, they've all been on the boat. I all learned a bunch of crap. Danny, Danny was a funny one because I come down around. I had three barges actually coming down down here to, to Dockside one day, and I went all the way around Kenner Bend and never touched a stick. Danny was sitting over there in the chair, and he's watching the computer, and he watched the stick, and he looked out the window, and he watched the window, and he watched the stick, and he watched me look at me. About 30 minutes in, he said, are you ever going to touch them sticks? <laughs> I leaned over and put my finger on a stick. I said, they make you feel better? No, turn and do something. I'm like, why, bro? He's going down the river. Man, <laughs> I gave them hell, man. I used to rouse them up all the time. But we moved when when ACBL, uh, let's call it the acquisition. When when ACBL bought AEP, I never. That's how many people I ever saw from ACBL. Ever on my boat, we were still doing things AEP ways. So far, so much that that's what they fired me over was five pilot house wise change lists that I signed but didn't fill out because I didn't know I had to fill them out because I didn't read them. But the first was up for Coast Guard inspection and a sire inspection, all in the same because it was all done at one time. And they don't like the sire inspections, don't like to see breaks and paperwork. So it all has to match. The boat had been in the same company all this time. So I had taken the AEP stuff and blanked the AEP stuff out and then used it so that it would look good on a sire inspection. And then the week of, ACBL decided to send us the things, and I signed it, but I never filled it out. But that's what they used to get rid of me. Well, where'd your career take you after that? Oh, that's where it took me. ACBL fired me 10 days before Christmas. When the contract that I'd worked long and hard with Vicky and the rest of them in to get the contract for that one barge tow to run from Pascagoula up to uh, Styrenix. So the, the first was on it and the Matt Lagarde was on it. And uh, worked my butt off to get the damn contract lined out and all up through the whole town yards. Like I talked to them guys, these people all the time. Like it was, it was a thing because yeah, to lose it, to watch my boat run around for the next three years one barge just mm, still hurts my nerves every time I see it. But yeah, it's, I stayed home. I stayed home for a whole year. I didn't, I didn't care. It's like, are you going to go? No, nope, I ain't going back. I'm taking a break. I'm done. I, you know, just I was burn out. I became the designated shuffle boat. So I literally didn't for a whole year. I didn't go south of reserve and no hiring in Dallas. That was it. I touched 60 plus barges a day. Keith Darling and the rest of them couldn't figure out how in the hell a technically rated on our tow move per day sheet was a 1200. How we move more barges than line boats going up the river with 45 barges. He's like, how are you staying at the top all the time? And I've moved 33 of them up from Armand all the way up to Showtan. Like ship pilots, like, have you lost your damn mind? Not yet, but it's getting out. It's halfway out the door. <laughs> well, yeah we moved all kinds of stuff it, it, it never stopped you know well what brought you back to the river after that year off the wife 
<laughs> the wife, like you got to go. You, you, you. No, I love her to death. Wouldn't trade her for anything in the world. She's like, I don't know what I'm gonna do when you retire. I, we both gonna have to go to the grave because I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> yes, ma'am. But nine, eventually, uh, Terry. Uh, Terry worked for AEP at the time, and he was a lot. He was one of the Glambo guys, and he became a poor captain. And uh, I saw somewhere they were they were needing somebody, and I called him, you know, out of the blue one day, and said, "Hey, da 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 da." And he's like, "Yeah, come fill in an application." That's I winded up here, and I've, I've been here since uh, eighteen. So yeah, the buyout to eighteen, I was at the house. I became a mercenary for the MMI license. The MTV stood for was mercenary for hire. I went to the highest freaking bidder. You 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 go pay <laughs> get me off of this couch. But I got a friend. I got friends of mine that own company. You know, that own boats. So uh, one of them works at the salt mines down there. So it's literally twenty minutes from my house in Lafayette. I just run down the boat, or run the boat, do whatever needed to be done. Stay there for a week or so, just so fill in, so somebody could go home. And then come back or go run one of the dredge boats, pull on anchors for a while. I really need to go back out there again and sharpen up some of my, my string, my back there string work, because it's been a while since I've done it. But yeah, I'm I'm a dying breed, brother. They they don't make them like me anymore. It doesn't matter. If it floats, I'm it's mine. I got it. It could be a bateau or it could be a push, I don't care. <laughs> We're about to get it done. It's just get out of the way and watch my smoke. It's always been that way. Shrimping, it didn't matter. Dad called me and go go night rigging with him. He liked it because I stayed up all night. The one thing he hated about me was I slept all day. <laughs> but, hey, boy, get up. You're sleeping all day away. Like, I got to drive the boat all night, knucklehead. But yeah, it was it's a thing. It's a thing. But I ran, man. We, we put, I pushed the crew. Kept them safe, pushed the crew all the time, all the time. It didn't matter. Pushed other crews big time. I wanted them to live up to the standard. You know what I mean? Like, when I hurt my knee, I tore my meniscus in my right knee, and I came back to the boat. This would be a comment story for you. Back the truck up, uh, the crew truck up right there at the dock, the convent. And my bag was in the truck, and I've got a cane and a, and a brace on my knee. And the guy was making fun. Look at old man Trey, man. He's got his cane out. Man, he remember. I'm like, oh, yeah, y'all about to get it. Y'all, y'all, all right. I see how it is. And I carried my bag all the way to the boat. Threw it up on the fleet deck, you know, went about my business. I let them talk. Just whatever. Because they all knew me. They all knew me. I knew it was, it was good ribbon and fun. Ironically enough, in that same 21-day hitch, some FCF barges came in, and I think they was 12 up down there on the lower on 21, and not a stitch of rigging on them. It was all soft line. And Jay and them, they've been putting it all. Jay and Jim and everybody's been putting it all. Nobody wanted to go down there and build a damn tote. One time I'm running back in the river doing a shovel shit. So uh, one night I just dropped a toe off in Belmont, and we was hanging out for once, taking a little bit of a break. But a lot going on. Jay's like, Jay calls me on the next step. He's like, you busy? What you doing down there? I said, nothing. Finally, nothing. You want to help? Like, yeah. He's like, come on. I'm about to get these guys to build this 12-pack up here. It was 12. 
I'm like, oh, yes, indeed. He's like, turn all the lights off, though. They'll come up here advertising. I'm like, all right. Because they like to use me because I had all the rigging on the fleet deck. You know, the, 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 the safety boats, they used to put everything on the rigging flat. They wouldn't keep much rigging on that boat at all. <laughs> I go up around the corner, Mario Bird, and all of them's up there with the legend. And they all, they all, whine, man, we got to do it. By that time, I turned all the deck lights on on the boat, lit it up, and they were like, oh, no. <laughs> Y'all about to get broke back into this non-winch using. Uh-uh. Well, come on up here. No, 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 no. You know that knee I was making fun of? Y'all come back here. Y'all come get it all off the boat. Towed it out there. Towed every piece of wreck. I want to see one of y'all leaning on the Coleman either taking no damn break. We didn't get no breaks back in the day. Y'all gonna tow it every last do it at the end of that. That was it. That was it. I never carried my bag again. Ever. Back the blue truck up and open the door. If they was coming up the hill, whoop, somebody grabbed my bag and it was back on the boat before I even knew where I happened. Where'd my bag go? <laughs> we ain't told no more rigging, Cap. This is bull. This is bull. Man, I'm like, y'all y'all have gotten baby fired. Y'all got used to winches. <laughs> we pushed them old woodbird barges, you know? I said, man, stationary was a nightmare. Yeah, I would rather use the portable because stationary always you get buried. It was buried in coke or it was buried in wood chips. Man, when you got to take a line and soak it in diesel and run around in front of the boat to keep the snakes off the boat, it's iffy, man. It's iffy. But that was that old Theodore run, bringing the logs and the wood chips out of Theodore, Alabama. They'd offload those trees. They'd load trees and barge. They grabbed a whole stack of trees and set it over. And they emptied the barge, and the last two scoops that come out of there looked like spaghetti. It was nothing but snakes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. All right, we're outnumbered. Nope. <laughs> Put the line across the front of the boat. We soak it in diesel just so the snakes wouldn't cross and get on the boat. Lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff, man. Always, always in the weird ass places. Well, if you uh if you hadn't told me already, if you can even answer this question, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen out there? Wow. That's a long list, Tim. You want the bright field hitting the river walk? That happened. Uh, barge breakaway at 96 out of Upper St. Rose that took out all of Bayou Fleet. We winded up with a block of 40 some odd barges off the freaking five foot off the losing bridge. One that you could, a, a nine pack of barges that you could literally walk off the barge onto the judge's back deck. Uh, man, it's uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot. Craziest dragon dredge pipe. They got lost at the mouth of the river. I'll give you a good one. Three boats making a, a canal wide enough to put a drilling rig in. We've done that too. Canal was 52 foot wide. Drilling rig was 54. Canal's 56 now. We dug it. Three boats. On the head of the thing, swing. Uh, weirdest one probably was the woman I called my dad. And I said, man, you ain't believe what they sent at me. But it was after Katrina. Katrina's a whole list of stories. Uh, I took a dredge across Lake Katawachi in the Bayou Verret. Called dad. I said, man, you ain't believe where I'm going. Where? Bayou Verret. What? 
Jermaine ain't been a tugboat in there since they dug the levee. I'm like, I know, the levee's broke. We gotta go fix it. 36 hours. 36 hours of backing up and dragging and dredging and drilling and digging and cross by Everett with a drilling with a with a bucket dredge on the toller. Literally had a duck blind a hundred feet, less than a hundred feet off of both sides. But these fools go with, with with gator tails. I'm in there with a nine and a half foot draft tugboat and a 250 foot bucket dredge. <laughs> oh man, it was bad. Katrina was a whole nother nightmare. Katrina hit it, wiped both ends of the state. I was still working for Coyote Island back in the days. And we ran, that little owl ran worse than the first ever thought about. Uh, we They ran it like a wet mule. Uh, we, we, I was one of the, we was one of the first boats on the east side after Katrina. And when I'm telling you that place was nasty as hell, I'm talking about you turned every light on the boat off, running lights included. You didn't want a pinpoint of light because the bugs was so thick. They would, the boat would be black. It would be black. It was ridiculous. Uh, because the, the refrigerating plant lost all the power, but the meat was still in. So you and then all of the, the refrigerators and everything that they were hauling to the dump, the dump is over there. So all that still meat, oh man, it was bad, horrendously bad. But Blackie Campo, anybody that lives down in Wyclowski, Shell Beach area, that's a name that's gonna stick out like a sore thumb because old man Blackie. Blackie used to run retief fuel dock. And Wyklowski been there his whole life, literally his whole life. And we brought the houseboat, uh, Billy had a houseboat. We brought the, the houseboat down there. And the guys from Mobile Chalmette was staying on the houseboat so that they didn't have to drive back and forth. So Mobile paid for the, the houseboat. We brought it down there and I ran into Blackie and I hadn't seen Blackie since I was a kid. And I do mean a kid. I was young, young, young. And literally had a pair of shoes and a pair of uh, like those rake, rake cap, what do you call them? Like uniform pants. That was it. That's all that man had. Yeah, no clothes, none. House, whole nine yards, gone. I got pictures from down there. Nothing but the piling sticking up like this. And the sheriff's, and ironically, the sheriff's camp, untouched. Anyway, we wasn't even shingle missing. Every camp around it, gone. <laughs> Oh man, it, it's Katrina will always take the cake. We did the job out of Vermilion Shoals, out of the Vermilion Bay, uh, about eight miles offshore, and the heliport and the, the, the crew quarters. The boat is 38 foot tall, and the, the heliport and all that, the crew quarters is another 40 feet above that. There was two feet of mud in the living quarters out there. Every wellhead, all 130 plus wellheads were all bent. I've, I've been in a lot of places doing a lot of things and seen a lot of crap. And it's all mostly going sideways at some shape, form, or fashion. <laughs> weird, to say the least. It's weird. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.